Welcome to The Social Contract, a podcast created by author George S. Corey and the artist Cleo. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of our award-winning podcast, The Social Contract. I'm actor, writer, producer Tavia Gilbert. We have a lot to unpack in this double episode, which is the conclusion of our special election series. But first, a couple of very exciting updates. First, George and Cleo's new digital single called Marilyn Valkyrie is out now. So be sure to check it out on all the major ebook and audiobook platforms Apple, Amazon, Audible, Barnes and Noble. You get the idea. This latest single dropped earlier this month, and of course our regular followers will know that it was adapted from the enormously successful coda, Some Like It Not, from our Marilyn Monroe tribute in episode 8 of this very podcast. It is a beautifully produced digital single, and just so fun to read along to and look at Cleo's art as you listen to the incredible performances of Stephen DeRosa, and Stephanie Stewart. We're also thrilled to announce that George and Cleo will be appearing in person at Hooray for Books in Alexandria, Virginia on November 7th at 5 p.m. Yep, that's election eve, to sign copies of the just-released Presidential Conversations for Kids, pose for pictures with fans, and just celebrate democracy along with this fabulous young reader's edition of George and Cleo's first book, Presidential Conversations. So if you're in the D.C. area, make sure to mark your calendar and come out and say hi. The Presidential Conversations for Kids audiobook is scheduled for release on Election Day, which will hopefully be another reason to celebrate on Tuesday, November 8th. If you enjoy Stephen DeRosa's incredible artistry and characterizations on this podcast, you will absolutely love his performance in the PC4K audiobook. We have some more exciting PC4K news involving the Social Contract podcast, but I think I'll save that for another episode. Now, on to the remarkably inventive and remarkably prescient creation from George and Cleo at the heart of this episode. Waiting for Our Vote is presented as a play. Yes, an actual play in two acts. It is, of course, a satiric, and I think ultimately deeply moving reflection on voting rights set on Election Day 2022. It features Presidents Lincoln and Biden, Vice President Harris, and a cameo by none other than Georgia gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams, repping her amazing voting rights organization, Fair Fight. But the showstopper, literally a showstopper, is a new fictional character, Elsa Egal, a 1930s cabaret singer with a powerful musical message. Of course, all our episodes are special, but this one, I must say, seems extra special. We're bringing Broadway, or at least a good old-fashioned radio play, to you. And don't forget to catch Cleo's gorgeous Politicart gallery on theartistcleo.com, which contains the visual works that inspired this episode. 
The series is called Cleo's Americana, and you won't want to miss it. We'll tease some of the pieces in the transcript. Now, without further ado, I give you Waiting for Our Vote, performed by Stephen DeRosa. What follows is a political satire in two acts. Act 1. Interior, the White House, night. President Joe Biden can't sleep. He tried sipping warm milk. That didn't work. He tried taking three deep breaths to find his chill place, as his vice president Kamala Harris taught him to do. That didn't work either. Frustrated about the all-consuming issue of voting rights and the legislation working its way, in fact, sputtering its way, through Congress, Biden is at his wit's end. Known for his joie de vivre and not allowing negative people or circumstances to drag him down, Uncle Joe is now finding it hard to grapple with what was to him a whole lot of hullabaloo about something that should be a no-brainer. Biden is seated in the Oval Office, clad in bright blue silk pajamas, a Valentine's Day gift from Dr. Jill, in front of the famous 1869 portrait of Abraham Lincoln by George Peter Alexander Healy. Biden had rubbed the White House's Office of Protocol the wrong way when he asked that the painting be moved from the state dining room to the Oval Office. Lincoln was a Republican, but Joe still liked him. Besides, even after all these years in Washington, Biden still believes in bipartisanship. He looks up at the painting and talks to it. Abe, why are these jokers getting in the way of doing the right thing? I mean, we're not arguing about artichoke farm subsidies in Fresno. This is about keeping America, America. What would you do, Abe? Biden leans forward, elbow on his right knee, and rests his chin in his hand, mirroring Lincoln's pose in the portrait. After a moment, he leans back in his chair and witnesses the most incredible thing happening before his eyes. Inside the painting, Lincoln leans back in his chair, too. Biden then shifts left to right. Lincoln shifts left to right. Biden stands up at full attention. Lincoln, too, stands up, breaking the painting's frame. Biden teeters backwards. Whoa. Lincoln gives Biden a wry smile and a reassuring wave. So... You must be 46, the current president. Yes, and you must be dead. Oh, yes, many of us are, but our spirits remain. And from time to time we emerge, usually in the middle of the night, as America sleeps, to counsel those who have succeeded us in this most venerable post. I cannot tell you what a source of strength George Washington was to me. Often appearing at this time of night in these walls to offer guidance during some of the most difficult days of my presidency. And many of us met with your predecessor in an attempt to curb his errant ways. Alas, to no avail. Oh, I did hear something about Trump running around the White House 
claiming to have seen the ghosts of presidents past, but everybody assumed he was, you know, lying. So, what troubles you, Joseph Robinette? Call me Joe. Everybody does. All right, Joe. You see, Abe, I was talking to you, well, to the painted portrait of you, because I find myself in a fight for equality, voter equality, that is proving itself to be awfully tough. Just like your own fight for equality hundreds of years ago. You were ultimately successful in your fight, and I was hoping you could help me figure out how to be successful in mine. Come on, man, help me out. It is true that I issued the Emancipation Proclamation in 1863, but the struggle waged and wages on. Tell me about it. Hey, maybe we can resolve it together. Have you heard the joke about two presidents' heads being better than one? Ah, yes. However, James Madison discussed the difficulties of even one president in the Federalist Papers. Two were not remotely considered. But, of course, I will do what I can to help, for the benefit of this great nation of ours. Lincoln reaches to shake Biden's hand, and poof, they are transported to Interior Cabaret Club Night. Clad in matching vintage tailcoat tuxedo dress jackets, Lincoln and Biden make their way through a chicly appointed, dimly lit cabaret club, the kind one would see in Austria prior to World War II. They take their seats at a two-person table with a mirrored top. An aging blonde cocktail waitress costumed in horns, a tail, and a too short red velveteen skirt leans back and places two dirty martinis, each with three olives, in front of them. She then spins around cheekily and places a bowl of macadamia nuts on the table before scurrying off. Hey, was that Kellyanne? Biden is interrupted by the voice of an unseen announcer over a squeaky mic. Ladies and gentlemen, revelers and presidents past and present, the Cabinet Cabaret Club is proud to present tonight's headline performer. Please give a warm round of applause to everybody's favorite chanteuse, the splendorous song stylist, Miss Elsa Egard. Spotlight on Elsa. Magnificently clad in a top hat and tails, a gardenia boutonniere pinned to her lapel, very Marlena Dietrich. Her presence and delivery are very Dietrich as well. The audience in the palm of her hand, she talks, sings, cooing seductively into the microphone. Equality is about security. National security. President Ibnuzat and many others too. Shoo-bidoo-bidoo. When the Union was losing and America bruising, what did Lincoln do? I'll tell you what he did. He said, free, 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 set them free, free, free to join the army and save the country for you and me 
and everybody. And that's how 200,000 freed black men fought for the Union. And turn, turn, turn the tide on that wild, 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 wide. So don't say no to a little political expediency, huh? Listen up, Jo, Jo. Don't say no, no. Just go, go. I said go. Jo, go. Blackout. Thunderous applause. Lights up. Danke. 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 As Elsa is razzmatazzed off the stage, carried by a troop of young men, similarly clad in top hats and tails, Biden turns to Lincoln. I know why you brought us here, Abe. In issuing the Emancipation Proclamation when you did, right in the middle of the Civil War, you allowed for the Union Army to be bolstered by the addition of black enlistees, who could only fight if they were free. It may have been expedient, but it won the war. We're not at war, though. Lincoln leans forward, drawing Biden in close because of the cabaret tumult. No, but the citizenry of your era is deeply divided, Joe, and there is much animosity among your people. Where does this all lead? That is why the right to vote must be presented as a national security matter, to preserve our representative, peaceful form of government before it spins into chaos or even war. But you must not be merely expedient. After all, even if you get the votes in Congress, the hearts and minds of the American people are another matter. Remember, by giving the Civil War a moral purpose, I changed its character. And in so doing, I changed hearts and minds. I showed how the nation's policies can align with the central tenet of our great Declaration of Independence that all men are created equal. Biden nods enthusiastically as he furiously scribbles on a notepad. Got it. Equality, expediency, security, morality. Especially morality. That is the strongest underpinning. Understood, Abe. Biden drops his presidential pen. As he bends down to pick it up, he jumps in his sleep, and we're in... Interior, the White House, bedroom, night. It's late, but not too late for him. Or for the country. Biden picks up the phone. Get me the vice president. Interior, the Oval Office, morning. Biden addresses the nation from the resolute desk, with Vice President Kamala Harris standing behind him. He speaks directly into the camera. Fellow citizens, we cannot escape history. We of this Congress and this administration will be remembered in spite of ourselves. No personal significance or insignificance can spare one or another of us. The fiery trial through which we pass will light us down in honor or dishonor 
to the latest generation. We say we are for the Union. The world will not forget that we say this. We know how to save the Union. The world knows we do know how to save it. We, even we here, hold the power and bear the responsibility. In giving freedom to the slave, we assure freedom to the free. Honorable alike in what we give and what we preserve, we shall nobly save or meanly lose the last best hope of earth. Other means may succeed. This could not fail. The way is plain, peaceful, generous, just a way which, if followed, the world will forever applaud and God must forever bless. Friends, those words came from Abraham Lincoln on December 1, 1862. A month later, President Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. Now, we all know that Lincoln freed the slaves, but many of you may not know that he convinced his cabinet, Congress, and the northern states not only by making a moral argument, but also by making a national security argument. As a result of Lincoln's proclamation, newly freed southern slaves were able to join the Union Army. And many thousands of them did just that. And folks, if they had not, we might not have been victorious. And who knows what our nation might look like today. In our country today, we are divided. Instead of divisions over slavery, we have divisions over voting. So what's to be done? We had the Voting Rights Act for more than 50 years, but over time it has been chiseled away. And now, in most states, voting restriction laws have been passed. These laws restrict access and limit the times and places where many Americans can exercise this most sacred freedom. There's the cruelty of not allowing water to be handed out in long voting lines. And then there's the inanity of not allowing drive through voting. But the worst of these laws empower partisan legislatures to change the outcome of the votes cast. How did we get here, folks? And where do we go from here? Well, I'll tell you where I'm going. The vice president and I will be heading to the hotbed of all this voter suppression nonsense. That's right. On election day, we'll be in Fulton County, Georgia. We will stand in line with our water bottles and folding lawn chairs as ordinary citizens, side by side with our fellow Americans. We will wait for six, seven, eight hours more if we need to. We will show that waiting in line is patriotic, that waiting to vote is dignified. It's noble. However long it takes, that is how we will convince not only our nation's leaders in Congress, but also change the hearts and minds of the American people. That is how we will honor this most precious right. And that is how we will draw attention to the importance of passing voting rights legislation in this country for the people. 
Okay, this is fabulous. Bravo, George and Cleo. Elsa is so great. Yes, there's an obvious Marlena Dietrich parody at play here, but I'm also getting some Elsa from Frozen vibes in how bold she is. And really every woman, whether she's a famous character or entertainer or not, who cares about human rights and voting rights. In Act 2, which we'll get to in just a little bit, George's writing takes us on a somewhat existential but still comical journey that offers a satiric take on Samuel Beckett's brilliant play Waiting for Godot, complete with questioning and angst and a tree. But first, there's this. Stephen, take it away. And now, please enjoy this entre-act music. Act 2. Exterior polling site, Georgia, day. Election day. Tuesday, November 8th, 2022. Biden, sitting on a fold-up chair under the shade of an enormous oak tree, checks his watch. He looks at it, shakes it, raises it up to his ear. Enter Harris in her Chuck Taylors. She casually hands Biden a bottle of water and sits down in the fold-up chair next to him. Thanks, Kamala. He looks up from his aviator sunglasses with a mischievous grin. But I wish you had handed me an ice cream cone. What's your favorite flavor again? Rocky Road? Oh, come on. You know I love chocolate chip. Oh, <laughs> I know. How long has it been now? Six? Seven hours? The everyday Americans waiting with them are no longer awestruck to be shoulder to shoulder with the president and vice president. They're all just waiting waiting for their vote. Well, thank goodness for this tree. It's hot here in Georgia. <laughs> A few people in the crowd nod knowingly, fanning themselves with newspapers and magazines. Just you and me, Joe, and a couple dozen Secret Service agents, sitting under this tree, waiting. We're like Estragon and Vladimir. Who? You know, from the play, Waiting for Godot. Oh, right. You know the very first line in that play? Nothing to be done. Nothing to be done, all right. <laughs> Harris laughs infectiously. Biden turns left and right in his chair, glancing at the long line of voters. Look at all these people. God love them in this spot. Under this tree? In front of this polling place. Waiting to vote. You know, Kamala? 
I think I'd rather be waiting for Godot. Might be less of a wait. <laughs> they share a laugh. Biden looks up at the tree. I'd like to climb this tree. You know what, Joe? I don't put anything past you, but you can't. Now, you need to just sit here with me and wait. I know, I know. We're waiting for our vote. As they sit quietly contemplating the shade, Stacey Abrams appears, wearing a T-shirt emblazoned with fair fight. She hands out bottled water to the line of voters, assuring each person in turn that they're going to vote today. The throng of reporters who themselves have grown tired and bored call out questions to Abrams against a flurry of camera clicks. But the Secret Service keeps them at a distance. Well, look who's here. The greatest political fighter for voting rights in Georgia. The first black female major party gubernatorial nominee in the United States. The first black woman to deliver a response to the president's State of the Union address. Harris smiles, enjoying this game of playful one-upmanship. Lawyer, political author, and... Uh, come on, Kamala, you got this. <laughs> and novelist of legal thrillers. Biden gets up, gestures to his lawn chair. Come over here, Stacy. Have a seat. My sainted mother didn't raise me to stay seated when a lady is standing. You're a gentleman, Mr. President. But doesn't being president of the United States mean you stay seated no matter who is in the room? Huh. Well played, Stacy. But I'm not here as the president today. I'm just here as a citizen to show my support for my fellow Americans. Biden accepts a bottle of water from Stacy, pops it open, and takes a big gulp. Thanks for the water, Stacy. It's cold and good. It is so great that you are handing them out to voters, especially in this endless wait. But aren't you afraid of getting arrested? Two words. Peaceful noncompliance. It may be a class two felony in Georgia to pass out water at a voting site. But I'm sorry. It's hot out here. It's the cruelty of that particular law that gets me. The cruelty is the point, Joe. Stacy chimes in. The cruelty is the point, Mr. President. Will night come too soon? Will we miss our vote? All three look to the sky. Then, Stacy continues on her way. A young boy makes his way along the line of voters. He clears the Secret Service and approaches the president. What's up, son? Mr. Raffensperger has a message for you. Now, what could Brad Raffensperger, the Georgia Secretary of State, possibly have to say? Anything he wants. Raffensperger runs this circus. The boy clears his throat and projects his voice for all to hear. <clears throat> Mr. Raffensperger told me to tell you, all of you, that you may have to wait all evening, but you will get to vote today. All right, son. Well, thank you for delivering that message. You may go now. What am I to tell Mr. Raffensperger, sir? Tell him... Tell him you saw us. You did see us, didn't you? Yes, sir. The boy steps back, hesitates, turns, and runs away. Joe and Kamala return to their lawn chairs. I sometimes wonder if we wouldn't have been better off fighting the good fight on our own. Each one for herself. Come on, you can't mean that. Not after all we've done. You and me. As the prez and vice prez? No, of course not. I just mean, 
Are people better off fighting for themselves or as part of a community? Is it better to find common purpose as individuals driven by self-interest? Or as communities being led or encouraged or forced to act for the common good? It's not certain, Kamala. Nothing ever is. At least this way, we the people are together. Yes. Together. A long moment of silence. So, what do you say? Wait for our vote? Yes. Let's. All of us. Wait for our vote. Curtain. Oh, that little boy. It's like the hope and weight of our collective future is on his shoulders. Listening to this, you can almost see it in his eyes. And I love how President Biden quips that waiting for Godot may be less of a wait than waiting for our vote, as the title suggests. I hope this has inspired each and every person listening to this podcast to go out and vote on Tuesday, November 8th. Do it for yourself. Do it for the people you love or for your country. But as the famous slogan goes, just do it. Now, as I do every episode, I leave you with a quote. This one comes from our newly installed Supreme Court Justice Katanji Brown Jackson. The right to vote is a right upon which all other rights are essentially founded. Because in a democracy, there is one person, one vote. And there are constitutional amendments that relate directly to the right to vote. I cannot wait for next month's holiday-themed episode premiering on Monday, November 28th. Remember, new episodes always premiere on the last Monday of the month. Happy Halloween, by the way, for all who are celebrating. Be safe and have fun. I want to thank Stephen DeRosa, George S. Corey, Cleo, and you, our loyal listeners. We welcome you to follow the Social Contract Podcast, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And we'd love it if you'd rate and review us. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at MyTSCPodcast. You can visit George S. Corey at georgescorey.com and see Cleo's art at theartistcleo.com. This has been the Social Contract Podcast. Created by George S. Corey and Cleo. Produced and hosted by Tavia Gilbert. Music courtesy of Listen Audio. Mix and master by Kayla Elrod. This has been a podcast from Listen Audio in association with TalkBox Productions. <laughs>